0: Welcome to Career
1: Day on the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to learn about the skills accumulated and lessons learned from a great marketer throughout the various stops on his career. Joining us for Career Day is a heavy hitter executive in the ABM and B2B industries. Robin Bordoli is the president of RollWorks, which is a division of the AdRoll group that offers ambitious B2B companies, an account-based platform to confidently grow revenue and measure the impact of marketing campaigns. And prior to his role leading the team at Rollworks, Robin held a variety of executive and advisory roles at notable tech companies, including Excite, Yahoo, and Marketo. Okay, here's our interview with the president of Rollworks, Robin Bordoli. Robin, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be here with you today. Very excited to have you on the show. It's an honor and a privilege to have somebody who's had such a distinguished career. Let's talk about it and start from the beginning. How did you get into marketing?
2: I actually have to go back a fair way into my career backwards in time to think about the origins of my journey in marketing. The origin of my journey was in one of my early roles at McKinsey & Company. So I worked at McKinsey & Company, the strategic consulting firm, back in the early mid-90s. And there, my work was so much about the intersection between markets, products, and technology So, it's where I got my first grounding in what I would call strategic marketing, thinking about markets at the aggregate level before you get down into the tactical aspect of how do you actually do marketing. So, that's where I was forced to develop my strategic marketing skills and thinking about markets and thinking about how markets developed over time. So, that's sort of 25 years ago that I had my start. And then the core aspect of my career has always been thinking about the new, new thing, the market that is in transformation. It's never been about business as usual. So the core thread throughout my career has been identifying emergent markets and understanding the nature of them and understanding how they're going to evolve over time. And I developed that skill by putting myself in situations where it was always either new technology or new markets, whether that was broadband ISP back in the late 1990s, early 2000s, whether it was the explosion of the Web 1.0 and the initial advertising model there with Yahoo, whether it was social collaboration at Jive Software. So it's always been about the new market and the emergent market. And then sort of crystallizing that with being part of the leadership team at Marketo, which was then about transforming the role of marketing, actually helping marketing grow up in the B2B world and be seen as a peer to sales. So before marketing automation came along in the B2B world, marketing was sort of the younger sibling, so to speak, of sales and wasn't viewed as a sort of true partner in the business and and wasn't sort of allowed at the adults table, so to speak.
1: So you've laid out a little bit of your career path. And the interesting thing to me is going back to your education, you were focused on engineering. You went into consulting, which is something that I've heard from multiple people with engineering backgrounds that ended up into marketing, that they learned the business aspect of marketing, then the transition and the overlap between technology and marketing as a consultant. What's interesting to me about your career path is that you went from a strategic consultant to sales to business development, and then more down a a product and corporate strategy role. You didn't really touch marketing early in your career, but it's always been a common thread. Talk to me about some of the roles that you had earlier in your career, your, your individual contributor, your early management experience where you went from consulting, sales, BD, product and corporate strategy. You know, what role did your understanding of marketing play and what were some of the lessons that you took out of those early stops in your career?
2: I think that's an acute observation, which none of my early roles in my career were traditionally marketing roles, right? They didn't report up through marketing or report into a CMO or a VP of marketing, but they all required an understanding of what market you were in and how that market was going to develop. So for example, at McKinsey back in the early nineties, one of the projects I was working on was we were consulting to the BBC. And I actually had to educate the management team at the BBC on what was a browser? What was the World Wide Web, right? (laughs) What was hypertext? How was this going to transform the media business? So having an understanding of what the market was in, how market would change, and how it would be subject to technology forces, and how that was going to change. So right at the beginning of my career, I was being sort of educated at the strategic marketing level, not at the campaign sort of program level. That trans- from McKinsey. Afterwards, I went to my first startup, a company called Micromuse, which eventually went public and then was acquired by IBM and is still part of the Tivoli suite. So that there was network management software. I actually was in a sales role, but I had to understand how the market I was selling into was changing. So the internet protocol was changing the way that networks were being built and managed. So early on, the roles were very much about understanding the strategic marketing lens, not marketing tactics.
1: Let's double click there because your current role is talking about the overlap between marketing and sales. And to me, that's the definition of ABM is the gray area in between marketing and sales In your time in the early 90s, when you were actually actively selling, what was the overlap between marketing and sales then? And how is it different than what it's like now?
2: The tension between marketing and sales in the B2B world is sort of as old as time itself. In some regards, it hasn't changed a great deal, which is, you know, when you're in the sales team the language and the focus is around deals, accounts, companies, contracts, right? If you just sit inside of a sales team, you live inside of a sales team, the language that you use, your daily focus is actually quite removed from the marketing team because most B2B marketing teams still talk about leads, campaigns, activities, right? And so the language doesn't connect. And that was very true back in the mid 90s And I would argue it's still, for the vast majority of companies, still true today that the language that marketing uses and how it gets measured and the language that sales use and how they measure success is there's still a disconnect, I would say, for 90% of companies, right? 10% of companies are, are on this ABM journey where they've closed that gap. And that's fundamentally what ABM is. It's about aligning marketing to the success of sales and making sure you're both driving towards sort of common measures and common measures of success.
1: So you saw firsthand that marketing and sales were not necessarily sharing a common language and essentially marketing is a lead generation or a support to to sales which drives the revenue, early 90s. Eventually you move away from your sales role and you go into business development and eventually corporate strategy before going down the executive path. As you moved away from your startup and sales experience, more into these BD and corp dev roles, what was that experience like? Is that just a amplified version of sales or what were the learnings that you got out of that experience?
2: So when I was Excite at Home, which was the result of the merger between Excite, which was an internet portal, sort of number two in the market behind Yahoo, and then at Home, which was a broadband infrastructure company working with the cable companies to deliver broadband to consumers. There, my business development role was very much about understanding markets and then building systems and processes to support those markets. And I did that in the Netherlands. I did it in Australia. I did it in Japan. So I got a lot of exposure to the difference in international markets, right? Markets aren't homogenous, so to speak, into the getting a very strong exposure to the difference in international markets. And then from that, I moved into uh, venture capital for five years. So again, it was like a living laboratory of different markets, (laughs) different marketing approaches. It was very intensified learning. It was a challenging period from a macroeconomic perspective from 2000 to 2005 as the wheels came off on the first wave of the internet.
1: The dot bomb era.
2: Yeah, the dot bomb in 2001. So that was a very sobering time as well. At some level, I felt like a triage nurse, right? Every injury has got an injury and just trying to work out which one is the most severe or fatal. And then from there, moving into a product strategy role with Yahoo!, which was, again, thinking at a strategic, both understanding how marketing was changing and digital advertising on the web was becoming an important component of how marketers go to markets and execute their function. And then from there, but also understanding not just how the marketer's role was changing, but the market of digital advertising was playing out. So as Facebook was starting to emerge, we woke up every day, how do we compete with Google? So again, thinking at the market level, was absolutely central to those roles as well, even though the title may have had business development or strategy sort of in the roles.
1: I look at that as the dividing line between the two stages of your career, where early in your career, you're getting a wide variety of experience. You have an engineering background. You do some consulting. You work in sales. You do business development. You do some venture capital. You go to Yahoo, and you're in a corporate and product strategy role. And then beyond that, you go away from learning all of these various sort of disparate job functions. They're they're somewhat related, but you're not just going down a marketing track or a product track or an engineering track. And then beyond that, you're an executive. So what was the reason why you decided to go from these different types of roles, you know, one area of focus to being an executive in your next role post Yahoo?
2: It's interesting because when you look back, you can sort of do that rationalization. But at that point in time, that was not part of the consideration as I thought about next role, next opportunity. My lens was always go look for big market opportunities in emergent markets where there is some major disconnect. It's either a a major shift in buying patterns, it's a technology disconnect. So that was the lens through which has been my guiding light throughout my career. And the result of that is the roles are always going to be sort of outside the box roles. Because if you're in an emergent state, you don't have a fully defined org structure, but the ability to be broad and not narrow, but then at the appropriate time to go deep is what's highly valued at that stage of a business and in that stage of a market which is why when you go, look, my titles at some level don't make sense because they seem to hop about, but that's what's common about the roles. So I never thought about this functional individual contributor level, management level, and then executive. That's a function of taking on big, interesting problems and then working out how to solve them and then solving them. That was an output of that, not sort of a career goal to think about, well, now I'm becoming an executive. You solve some problems, you get given more responsibility, you solve more, and it just felt a natural progression, which is sometimes you get asked this question when you go to interview, are you a strategy person or you're an operations person, right? Do you operate at the high level or are you good at getting stuff done? And that used to be the case. I would say a decade ago, that was very classic, right? Oh, you're a strategy person, or right? I'm going to put you in this bucket, or no, 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 you're good at a functional area, I'm going to put you in this bucket. And I think what people have realized is that's a really false dichotomy. What you really want to hire is people who are good at working stuff out and then good at getting stuff done. And to operate at a certain level, you need to have both of those muscles, even executives. Because sometimes people think, oh, well, an executive means you're just good at working the big stuff out, right? But you're not good at the details. I never had that mental model. You've got to be able to toggle back and forth between those to be an effective executive.
1: I think that you're not giving yourself enough credit. Your ability to be able to move in between these various job functions and your ability to do both the strategic and the operational is one of the reasons why you've been able to move forward so quickly. And the reason why those silos exist is because it's difficult for most people to be able to do both strategic and operational. Eventually, you move on in your career, you become more of an executive, you take these career experiences you have. And honestly, you you get into the reason why you're on a marketing podcast. You start working in marketing and ABM and and the intersection between marketing and sales technologies. Most notably, I think Marketo is probably the one that stands out to me. Talk to me about your role at Marketo, obviously a very marketing-focused company, what were you doing at Marketo and what can you tell us about the experience starting to work in really one of the first and biggest MarTech companies around?
2: So the initial role that I came in for was very easy to describe, very hard to execute on. So in the interview process, basically Phil Fernandez, the founder and CEO, encapsulated it very simplistically. He said, Salesforce has App Exchange." I want Marketo to have an equivalent ecosystem. I need someone to come in and create an ecosystem of applications where basically Marketo is the sun and there are a set of planets that orbit the sun. The same way that Salesforce in the sales world is a platform and an ecosystem, it's not just an application. And there's hundreds and thousands of integrations and applications that orbit their sun. I want someone to come in and create that equivalent in the marketing world. So Salesforce has Exchange, Marketo has X. Go work out what X is and just make it happen.
1: I just had this conversation with Scott Brinker from HubSpot, and that was his biggest call out for the change in MarTech now is that everyone wants to have a platform. Marketo, obviously, on the cutting edge, they were making this decision in 2012, but it's a trend that we've seen continue where just being an application isn't enough. It needs to tie either into a platform or be its own platform. You mentioned that was the first role that you had at Marketo. Eventually, you move on. Talk to me about some of the other responsibilities you had.
2: I actually had four different roles at Marketo. That was the first come in. And that ecosystem, I named Marketo Launch Point, and we launched that. And the point that I handed over responsibility of that, it had of the order of about 400 partners in that ecosystem and was sort of the first and the biggest marketing application ecosystem. So that was role number one. Role number two was we acquired a company called Crowdfactory. And Crowdfactory was a social marketing application. And I became the general manager of that business. So it was sort of post-acquisition, making sure that product and that business got fully integrated into Marketo. So I became the GM of that product line to drive value and make sure the acquisition paid off. The third role I had was I ran corporate development for a while, which was understanding what are all the adjacent categories to marketing automation? And what is our perspective on build, buy, and partner? So where do we want to extend into through building our own integration? Where do we want to partner? Where do we need to acquire a company? So, for example, uh, we acquired a company called Inside Terra, which was out of Israel, and that became Marketo's real-time personalization. So corporate development, build by partner, was the third role. And then the fourth role was general manager and leader of the B2C business unit. So, ahead of the IPO, Phil Fernandez, the CEO, asked me to go answer the question of one, should we be expanding from B2B to B2C? And two, if so, how? So, I built a startup business unit inside of Marketo, a B2C business unit inside of a B2B business. And that was my fourth and final role at Marketo.
1: So, the common thread between those roles, whether it be ecosystem, Looking at the landscape, B2B versus B2C, doing corporate development, is you're analyzing the broader marketing and MarTech industries. Time for a one minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's mutine dot co. Talk to me about some of the conclusions that you made looking at the landscape of marketing then, and how has it changed now?
2: So if you go back to my time at Marketo and then project forward to today, I think there are two big waves to think about. The first wave really is around marketing growing up and becoming a function and a budget owner and a business driver in the B2B world and becoming a very serious player in that regard. So it's no coincidence that Salesforce emerged as the dominant player in the sales world before a dominant or a handful of major players appeared in the marketing technology world, right? It's because sales was where all the budget went, where all the political power went, where all the decisions were made.
1: It's where all the revenue attribution is.
2: Yeah, where the revenue attribution was. And so the first big wave to think about is that marketing got established as a sibling function that had its own budgets, own requirements, And now there is a category called marketing automation that no one in the B2B world quibbles about. If you go back eight or 10 years ago, a lot of the conversations with companies was like, well, I've got a CRM, I've got Salesforce. Why do I need this other platform? Can't my marketers just log in and log their leads in here and do their stuff? So the first big shift is marketing growing up, so to speak, or being acknowledged as a business driver and a business function on more equal footing with sales. And that's what led to. HubSpot, Marketo, Eloqua, and then the big tech players both acknowledging this and saying, we absolutely have to have a play in this. Adobe acquiring Marketo, Oracle acquiring Eloqua, Salesforce acquiring Pardot, which was inside of a B2C business, and then creating the marketing cloud, right? All the big players sort of acknowledge that.
1: And what was the second trend that you observed? So the
2: second trend then is starting to apply data and intelligence at greater scale to make marketing more scalable. For example, and this is where ABM really comes in, what is account-based marketing? Account-based marketing is marketing's ability to identify and engage both the known and the unknown buyers inside of the accounts that matter to them. That's my description of what ABM is. It's only been possible for larger companies to do this because they've been very manual processes, right? I have to do manual crunching of lists. I have to do manual analysis of accounts. I have to go try and weave this all together from disparate systems. If I do campaigns or programs, they're very manual, right? I've got to create a different campaign for this account. And so only large organizations with big resources have been able to do ABM because they're still very manual. Mm -hmm. And what we're now seeing is both the availability of high quality data around people and company data, as well as applying machine learning to processes that reduce the need for human muscle power and just like brute forcing around things like personalization, scoring accounts, suggesting accounts. And the combination of those two, both data and machine learning, is now going to do two things. Bring down the price point of account-based marketing and bring down the accessibility of it so that what we're starting to see and we'll see over the next five to eight years is ABM is just good B2B marketing. There will be a point in time in the future where it's not that you have leads-based marketing and account-based marketing. You will just have account-based marketing. It is a fundamental transformation. Why would you ever spend a dollar on an account that's not going to buy from you or a buyer that's not going to buy from you, right? As opposed to this, I'm going to spend lots of money and then I'm going to like the fishing analogy. I pull in a net, I bring them in, I throw back 70% of what I've caught and I keep 30%. That's not going to be the way that B2B marketing is done. So that's the second big wave that we're in the midst of. And you're starting to see evidence of the market for that. So, for example, predictive, which had been a standalone category or people thought of as standalone with companies like Lattice Engines, Mintigo, Everstring, Lead Space. There was a company called Infer a few years back that sort of was an asset acquisition. That is basically getting combined into an account based marketing platform. So we're starting to see elements of that. You know, Mintigo struggled and was just today was announced, was acquired by Anaplan because it's not a standalone category. You saw Dun & Brand Street acquire Lattice Engines, sort of the combination there. So I think that's the next big phase that we're early in and is going to be the dominant sort of theme over the next three to five years.
1: So the interesting thing to me is, as you talk about spending the time evaluating the landscape at Marketo, the takeaways are marketing is gaining more political capital at large companies, right? They're now a peer to the sales department and owner of revenue generation, And that there is this influx of data that feeds into personalization, whether we're calling it ABM or marketing automation or or AI, whatever it is, that there's this adoption and usage of data that is making marketers more effective, which fast forward to your role at RollWorks, a company that is data-driven and focused on ABM. I think I'm going to answer my questions here. Why did you work your way to be the president at RollWorks?
2: So I left the marketing technology space, so to speak, as a participant back at the beginning of 2015. So I left Marketo beginning of 2015, and I joined a small startup that at the time was called Crowdflower, but we ultimately rebranded to be Figure 8. That was a 35-person startup that was in the machine learning segment. So what CrowdFlower now Figure 8 does is it actually, at the time, was a service that transformed unstructured data about the real world, so text, images, video, audio, and structured it so that machine learning algorithms could ingest it and use it. So for example, self-driving cars, how do you actually take raw images of street-level views? and teach cars to identify pedestrians, cyclists, road signs, etc. How do you take it in just a one sentence description of a product and assess whether or not that description is accurate? So in machine learning parlance, this is called training data. How do you create training data that teaches a machine or an algorithm about the real world around it? So I was very deep in machine learning, right, for four years, very deep in understanding how AI was getting adopted, the importance of data, the interplay with machine learning. And I was a consumer of marketing technology, but I wasn't a vendor, so to speak. I'd sort of stepped out of the actual marketing technology market.
1: But you're gaining experience as a vendor, and you're also learning artificial intelligence and machine learning applications.
2: Yeah. And the other thing that I'd done at Marketo was, as part of my role of leading the B2C business unit, was I had tried to actually create partnerships between Marketo and leaders in the B2C Martech space, so companies like Turn, Axiom, which is now LiveRamp, and I had actually really tried to bridge this gap between the unknown world of buyers, meaning digital advertising, where you might know a cookie, but you don't actually know who that is. I don't know that's Robin Bordoli. I know that's a 47-year-old male that has this level of propensity and they may or may not work at this company or you might not even know that. To the known world, which is Marketo's world. Marketo's world was, oh, I know this is Robin.Bordoli at figure8.com. They filled out a form, they've attended a webinar, they're known to me. So I'd spend a lot of time like, how do you connect these worlds? And I understood that there was massive value to be created if you could but fundamentally that was an unsolved problem. We tried really hard to solve that, but it was an unsolved problem. So when the Rollworks opportunity presented itself, these two big threads basically came together. I see the ability to apply machine learning and high quality data, which given AdRoll Group's pedigree, it actually has deep capabilities in. And I also see the ability to bridge the known and the unknown world inside of one company I came to a conclusion from my Marketo time that you're not going to solve this across two companies. It's too hard. People think too differently. To really solve this, you've got to have one team under one roof trying to solve this. So those two threads together presented themselves in this president of RollWorks opportunity.
1: So that's really the core mission of RollWorks is to understand how to connect the two silos of sales and marketing Talk to me about some of the challenges you faced and some of the experience that you've gained working as the president of Roleworks from a personal development and also from a marketing standpoint.
2: So previously, I was CEO of figure eight. And so I was running a startup that went from about 30 people to 120 folks or so. So I was the CEO of that business and running that organization to coming into being president of a business unit, which has many aspects of a CEO-like role, right? Where I'm responsible for strategy and operations, and I own a PL and i am ultimately held accountable for success. But it's a business unit inside of a larger organization, which has pros and cons. The big pro is it gets to leverage capabilities of a larger business, so having that opportunity to tap into the machine learning pedigree the technology infrastructure the self-serve capabilities that exist in the larger adroll group has been very energizing right when you're a ceo of a startup you basically you eat what you kill right you're not connected to anyone else it's very primal and black and white right these are the resources you have it's been very energizing to be part of a larger organization and being able to tap into that while still having the startup, iterative, nimble nature of a business unit in an emergent market that's iterating at a high rate of not. So that's been a very energizing part of this role.
1: What are some of the trade-offs that you're facing by being at a company that has resources which you're able to tap into? Obviously, there's some cross-coordination. What are some of the challenges that you faced?
2: cross coordination is definitely there so you sometimes you might have to move a little slower because some of the decisions are going to require multiple folks rather than well the buck stops with me that we have other business units that i need to coordinate with the sort of the centralized functions that i need to coordinate with as well but the african proverb if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together This ability to actually have sustainability and to go for a think on a large time horizon. It might take a while to sort of get going, but then the force at which you move with is greater as well. So that's the trade off you think about. And when I make the statements that I believe this is fundamentally how all B2B marketing is going to happen in the next decade, I'm looking at a market that's maybe 500,000 companies. Any B2B company in the US that is 20 employees or greater is ultimately our target customer. That's the scale of the ambition. So the big pro is being inside of an organization that's got that scale of ambition as well. So there are trade-offs. Sometimes you have to go slower in the short term, but fundamentally, it's about going further in the longer term.
1: And you're tackling a big problem, which is bridging the gap between sales and marketing We talked earlier about how when you were early in your career, you felt that the sales and marketing team were speaking two different languages and that there was a divide between them. And marketing was essentially a support system to sales because sales had all the revenue driving power, right? They had the attribution. That's obviously changed a lot today. Talk to me about the divide. How thick is it? You know, are marketing and sales being merged more and more? And what is Roleworks doing to streamline that process and make sure everybody speaks the same language?
2: I'm going to butcher the attribution and the quote. There's an author who writes technology fiction. So the quote is, the future is already here, it's just unevenly distributed. And that is very, very on point for the state of the ABM market and the adoption meaning. There are companies today that fundamentally understand this is a transformation and fundamentally understand this is central to their success but it's a pocket. We're less than 5% of the market sort of truly adopting account-based marketing.
1: What I'm hearing from you is there is a divide between marketing and sales. That divide is becoming less and less. And 5% of the market, there might not actually be a divide. The people that are actually implementing ABM the right way. Talk to me about the other 95%. What's the challenge that you're facing trying to bridge the gap between the two departments?
2: I think the first part is acknowledging that there is a gap and whose job it is to close the gap. So sometimes, you know, I'm a parent, I have two children, sometimes they squabble and it's not always clear to work out like what's the source of the frustration and how do you close the gap, who's pointing fingers. So I think one of the challenges is marketing and sales has had this tension for so long that some people just, hey, it's like oxygen. It's just the way it is. It's just the way the world is. So a large part is educating people to say, this is a problem and there is a better way. So I think one of the big challenges is just education. Then the second part is, where do I start, right? Oh my God, it feels like ABM. It feels like I've got to go to some temple and find a priest who's going to give me insight into these magical, mystical ways. So it's working out where people are and giving them very concrete starting points We've developed what we call the ABM readiness framework to help sort of diagnose an organization about where they are in their ABM journey and then what is the appropriate next step. And probably the easiest way to do this, I do this often with companies I go and talk to, is go to the head of sales and ask them to write down what is the ideal customer profile, go to the head of marketing and ask them to write down the ideal customer profile. And then look at them, (laughs) even as simple as just write it down on a piece of paper, just write it down. And you actually don't want them to go to a PowerPoint or somewhere. It's like, is it in their head? And look at them and see if they are even close. You would be shocked at the number of times that you will get either fuzzy answers or different answers. So that concept of an ideal customer profile is really the starting point for understanding and starting to align marketing and sales. But too often, that's just glossed over. That's how we think about the other 95% is, do they acknowledge it's a problem? And if so, do they have a desire to get started? This is the fundamental piece. Identify your ideal customer profile and then build a target account list that reflects that, that has real companies and real people in that list. And then that is the core artifact from which everything else radiates out.
1: So as you think back on your career, having gone from engineering background, having worked as a consultant in sales, strategy, eventually working your way into a series of executive roles at MarTech and sales companies, for the people that are early on in their career that are interested in following this career path that want to be an executive in a B2B company... What lessons do you think you've learned that other people can take with them to try to help them reach the point where you are?
2: My career advice would be two things. One, develop the skill of thinking about markets at an aggregate level, not as a collection of individual buyers. And then secondarily, go and expose yourself to emergent markets because it's a very different skill set to operate in an emergent market than it is to operate in an established market. So put yourself in the stretch zone. My kids at school, the teachers talk about comfort zone, stretch zone, and panic zone. And you want to be in the stretch zone a lot because that's where learning happens. So go put yourself in a stretch zone. Go operate in a market which is nascent and emergent because the skills that you learn in that environment are very different than the steady state skills you learn in an established market whether you're a marketer or or whether you're just an executive or a leader, an individual contributor, that would be my one piece of career advice.
1: I think it's great advice. Robin, I know we've taken up a lot of your time. I appreciate you coming on and being a guest on the show and telling us about your experience and about the overlap between sales and marketing. Thanks for being our guest.
2: Ben, it's been a real pleasure and thank you much for your time today.
1: Okay. And that wraps up this episode of the Martech podcast. Thanks to Robin Bordoli, president of Rollworks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Robin, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send him a tweet. His handle is rbordoli. That's R-B-O-R-D-O-L-I. Or you could visit his company's website, which is rollworks.com. Just one link I want to tell you about in our show notes. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, just head over to martechpod.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes, contact information for our guests. You can also sign up for our weekly newsletter to see the list of episodes that we launched last week. And you can, of course, send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. You're welcome to also reach out on social media. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P, on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we publish episodes every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy.